Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, Senior Managing Director of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello, and thank you for tuning into number 14. In this episode, we're going to review market action in February and provide some quick thoughts on the Federal Reserve, stimulus, really interesting consumer behavior, and how I think about it as it relates to credit. And we will do this in about 15 minutes and on a monthly basis. Let's begin with a little recap of market action in February. And I'll start with the domestic equity side. S&P 500 was up a little less than 3% and is up a couple percent for the year. To To me, the real notable element here, observation, is the Russell 1000 growth, which comprises mostly of the large tech companies versus the Russell 2000 value, which is at the other end, smaller traditional businesses. The smaller traditional businesses have been outperforming now for three to six months. So for the month, large tech was flat. The Russell 2000 value was up over 9%. And year-to-date, 2021, large tech is down Russell 2000 value is up over 15%. And this this really flipped around November, which coincides with a lot of the vaccine news. And I think it's just part of the reopening trade. On the international front, we are seeing a little more pickup in emerging markets versus developed equities for the year. Emerging market equity is up just shy of four. Developed internationals up a little over one, really in line with the S&P. Now let's get to the fixed income front. This is where the story kind of gets more interesting. The aggregate index, which is the broad-based fixed income market, was down 1.5% in February, and for the year, down 2%. That's actually, that's a pretty big move for investment-grade bonds. And that, again, is reflective of the reopening trade as we have inflation expectations and the thought of interest rates moving higher. Credit, which high yield is probably the most widely known index, up marginally in February, up about 70 basis points year to date. And then floating rate loans, which is almost a pure credit play, up over a percent in February and up a couple percent. So the theme in February is very much around reopening. Interest rates begin moving up. Credit is good as the expectations that companies will do better and traditional businesses are outperforming big tech. I now want to touch on the Federal Reserve, which to me anchors this massive global liquidity. You think about last year, the stimulus packages, we have put four to $5 trillion into the system and the Federal Reserve balance sheet took down three and a half trillion of that. And when you have that money going into the system, the expectation is with the economy opening up, you're going to start to see rates move up. And that's, that's largely what's been happening in February. Now the market turns its focus and, okay, well, what are you going to do now? The Fed is thinking long-term. I would expect them to stick to the script. They have indicated that quantitative easing is going to remain through the rest of this year. And also keep in mind that we still have 8 to 10 million people that are more unemployed today than we did a year ago. So while the market is expecting the Fed to do something, I think the Fed is very much in a, let's wait and see how all this plays out. They have said that they want to keep the short end, the short end of the curve close to zero. So to me, if everything goes well, you start to see economic growth, inflation picks up, 
I would expect the narrative of the Fed to begin changing next year to set up a potential tightening in 2023. That is based on obviously information today. Given that, I do expect the yield curve to continue steepening and interest rates to probably continue grinding higher. Also, when I take a step back, the Fed has been supporting the market since the financial crisis for, the, for over 12 years now. And it wasn't until last year that they really got significant fiscal support. So on many levels, if you've been injecting liquidity into the markets for a decade and you really haven't had fiscal support, I think you'd be a little gun shy to, to, to close off financial or, or tighten the financial conditions. So I think they are observing what happens on the fiscal side, see if we get inflation. And then when you take it beyond that, I'm in the camp that inflation will most likely be transitory. When you think of all the money we've put in the system, the things that will continue to put pressure down on inflation is technology, which we all have seen is ramped up significantly, globalization, and distribution of capital. Those elements are monstrous deflationary pressures. And as of right now, I'm of the camp that we will probably get some inflation over the next year or two, but then we'll start to see pressure um, push down again. Now let's get into the stimulus aspect. As I record here, it's the first week of March. My expectation is that the next stimulus bill will probably be approved in the next week, week and a half. Expectations around 1.9 trillion. There is you know, the $15 minimum wage was on the table. That appears to be off the table. And now both sides will, you know, one side will push back against it, but ultimately both sides, I think, want it to pass. Here's a little perspective on stimulus and what this means to spending. We are going to get third round of checks out in the system. When you look through to personal savings, it has increased by $3 trillion over the past year, which is, by the way, triple the normal rate. So if you just do general math, if people spend one half of the excess, so just the one trillion, that should increase GDP by 5%. And by the way, they have another 5% after that. That is very much, you know, that tends to be good for earnings, good for stocks, good for credit. That doesn't tend to be good for rates, but that's just some perspective on how much money has been put into the system. When you think about what I think is the pent-up demand, And now you're starting to see elements of inflation creep into manufacturring and service. I mean, prices prices should move higher, especially in the short term. Long term, remember, I think labor markets are still distorted due to a lot of, let's say, wonky reopening rules with other states. Supply chains are still disrupted. Transportation is still disrupted. So I, I do think we are in a transition period where demand is going to outpace supply until we are all open, supply chains are open, you know, people are employed. But in the meantime, you're going to see a lot of distortions on the inflation front. And I would expect that to continue through this year. Now on to a little more interesting data, in my opinion. This is from Bank of America, and it is based on their daily credit card tracking. Over the past month, one of the things it was done is they broke down various age groups. Those over 75, baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials. Part of the reason they did that was people over 75, you can assume, have largely been vaccinated. 
So you can observe a little bit of the behavior as relates to folks that have been vaccinated versus folks that will be vaccinated. When we look through to, to things or behaviors of folks in that age group, what they found is as it relates to travel, people over 75 and relative to September of 2020, so it's, it's roughly six months, people over 75 have spent four times the amount on booking travel whereas baby boomers and Gen Xers, two times, and millennials up 50%. Huge spike in January and February in people over 75 booking travel. Conversely, lodging, restaurants, and shopping, all the ages are about in line. So one of the conclusions is that the older generation, as soon as they are vaccined or vaccinated, they're traveling, but most likely to see family and friends, not necessarily vacationing or shopping yet. I found that a very, very fascinating telltale on, on a demographic. When we look through to various sectors below the surface, and that I'll use a four-month uh, spend trend, airlines are improving. So four months ago, airline business was down 75% year over year, now down about 50. Entertainment's about the same, down about two-thirds year over year. What we are seeing though is lodging is improving. So lodging four months ago was down 40% year over year, now down 20%. What has improved too is gas. Gas spend four months ago is off 15%. Now it's positive. And so you look through to those trends, the traditional businesses or spending is improving. Online is paring down. Now online has had a huge run this past year, but four months ago, it was up 70% year over year. Now, down, now up about 50% and home, home is staying strong furniture, home improvement, all up 25% year over year. And that has maintained over the past four months. And I'm taking it a step further now geographically. Look through to consumer spend across 48 states are up, two states are down, Washington and Oregon. And when you look through to cities that are the weakest, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco are the weakest year over year. Detroit, Miami, and Tampa are up among the stronger metropolitan areas year over year. The Texas cities were doing well, Austin, Dallas, Houston, but the winter storms kind of distorted the numbers a little bit. But you are seeing behaviors come through in consumer spending across regions, across sectors, now across demographics, I think because of the vaccine rollout. So to sum all this up, how do I think about this as it relates to the bond market? Well, when you think about the economy ramping up, Corporate earnings are expected to be strong. Quantitative easing from the central bank is expected to continue this year. Major economies are seeing cases drop down. Vaccines are ramping up and another stimulus package is coming. All those things are very good for companies, credit, and equities. The areas that are more uncertain and would warrant an evaluation of how defensive you want to be is around interest rates, which we are seeing a little bit of that and valuation. When you look through to those things I just mentioned, on the valuation front, traditional businesses have been outperforming. Meanwhile, those high growth businesses that performed well a year ago, they've been weak. And on the fixed income side, instruments that were more rate sensitive have been, been weakening. Meanwhile, things that are more credit sensitive and less rate sensitive seem to be outperforming. So that, that theme, I would expect, uh, as long as this uncertainty around how much inflation we were going to get and these distortions, I would expect that theme to continue in the near term.
And for those that have stayed this far, why did the Grizzly get a D minus in his hibernation class? Because he did the bare minimum. Thank you and stay tuned. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. The views in this commentary are as of March 5th, 2021, and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the fund's portfolio managers and could be different if provided by a third party. Pacific funds are distributed by Pacific Select Distributors, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, a subsidiary of Pacific Life Insurance Company, Newport Beach, California, and are available through licensed third parties. Pacific funds refers to Pacific Funds Series Trust. Investors should consider a fund's investment goal, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. The prospectus and or the applicable summary prospectus contain this and other information about the fund and are available from pacificfunds.com. The prospectus and or summary prospectus should be read carefully before investing. Index performance is not indicative of fund performance. Fund performance current to the most recent quarter and month end can be obtained by visiting pacificfunds.com. One basis point is equal to 0.01%. The Bloomberg Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is composed of investment-grade U.S. government bonds, investment-grade corporate bonds, mortgage pass-through securities, and asset-backed securities, and is commonly used to track the performance of U.S. investment-grade bonds. The Bloomberg Barclays U.S. High Yield 2% Issuer Cap Bond Index measures the performance of high-yield bonds with a 2% maximum allocation to any one issuer. The Russell 1000 Growth Index measures the performance of the large-cap growth segment of the U.S. equity universe. It includes those Russell 1000 companies with higher price-to-value ratios and higher forecasted growth values. The Russell 2000 Value Index measures the performance of the large-cap value segment of the U.S. equity universe. It includes those Russell 1000 companies with lower price-to-book ratios and lower expected growth values. The S&P 500 Index is a market capitalization-weighted index of 500 widely held stocks often used as a proxy for the U.S. stock market.